0: Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. The Magic Five, custom-fitted goggles that are tailor-made for your exact face. You shouldn't feel like you're wearing any goggles. Use code brethawk 20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. Destromachines.com Superior swim timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado Dactronics and Amiga touchpads, superiorswimtiming.com. Swim Angelfish. Receive the tools and skills needed to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory, and motor conditions with Swim Angelfish. Go to swimangelfish.com. okay Jacko Vaharan, welcome to the podcast how are you thank you thanks for having me yeah well listen where are you coming from today
1: i'm coming from eindhoven uh where i where i live you know when i moved back from or when we moved back actually from from australia we went back to uh, my hometown which is eindhoven
0: oh excellent excellent and um i've seen some reports lately of of some some activity with you maybe with with german swimming and then uh, French swimming. So what's the latest in kind of where you're headed?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I joined German swimming, but it was only for six months. It was kind of a, a project I did with them. Uh, obviously, it was in the midst of all the COVID regulations. So uh, it was more uh, a, a Zoom commitment. So uh, for, for approximately two days a week, Um, been chatting to a lot of their coaches trying to uh, support them in creating the plans after the Olympics so the 2021-2024 trajectory and talking a lot about talent development training we did some clinics we did some some tech technical clinics uh, talking physiology testing all, all all the things you can think of as a as a coach so there was Actually, quite enjoyable because it helped me through, let's say, sitting a lot at home
0: as well. Awesome, and then now, and now with French. I what's the update with where are you going with them?
1: Yeah, I've uh, I've started the first of September with French swimming, uh, and I'm there. Uh, what you would like call team director um, uh, into 2024. Uh, at least I hope so. And, uh, you know, trying to build their team, it's, it, it's a very similar role, I must say, to the one I had in, in Australia. Uh, so working with the coaches, um, um, together with them, the, developing their plans, but also the national team plans, the selection, the selection criteria, etc. So pretty much all the stuff that comes with, uh, with the head coach, but I'm not the head coach there, I'm a the team director.
0: Oh, interesting. Now, are you going to have to move the whole family there as well and set up in, in France? No,
1: actually, France is, is pretty close for me. Like uh, I'm I'm from Eindhoven here, you can fly to the south of France. So south of France for me means uh, the program in Nice, Marseille, uh, Antibes and, and Martique. Those are the four key programs there. And that's a, only a one and a half hour flight for me. Uh, so that's where I was like two weeks ago, uh, because I've just started to visit the coaches and their programs. Mm-hmm. Um, last week I was in Toulouse and I was in Fort Romeu. Fort Romeu is there is in the Pyrenees, it's their altitude uh, place. And uh, next week I'm going to the north of France, uh, so that's Paris, that's Bethune-Amiens. And I can either go by train there, which is four hours, or drive. Uh, I will drive actually next week because I'm only three hours from Bethune.
0: Oh, excellent. Uh, I'm sure they're excited about this possibility then. Have you been well received by, um, you know, the French swimming community?
1: Yeah, fantastic. So far, so good. You know, I've I've just started and (laughs) I uh, obviously tried to get a little bit of uh, control over the language too. Mm. I can understand a bit, Um, uh, speaking is difficult, like it's definitely not my language, but um, I I followed some course as well, so uh, just to make sure that I'm starting to understand more, but luckily a lot of the people speak English as well, so that's good for me.
0: It always fascinates me, Europeans, how many different languages you guys can speak. I mean, I can't speak anything but this uh, stupid uh, English, Australian English that I have. I can understand some, some Southern American English, but that's about, that's my language. But how many languages have you got down now? Uh, well, pretty much
1: three, I must say, like, like, uh, uh let me say, uh, uh of course Dutch, mm-hmm. uh, but almost nobody in the world speaks Dutch. So you have to mm-hmm. learn different languages, right. a bit of German, English, and now a bit of French
0: too. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Well, listen, um, I'll tell you something personally for me, I, I took something from you. I, I was... Obviously, um, a competitor of Peter van and Hugenbahn back in the day, and um, you were his coach uh, from a from a young age. When did you? How old were you when you started coaching Peter? Um,
1: when I started coaching Peter, it was ninety two, so I must have been twenty three. Actually, wow. like uh, yeah, we Peter and I pretty much grew up together, really in the sport. Mm. So I, I started coaching here in Eindhoven when I was twenty three, and. Mm. Three years before that, uh, I started coaching already when I was 20. Um, uh, and, and those, uh, you know, just to put that in perspective, those weren't full-time jobs. You know, like the the landscape in the Netherlands in, in coaching is very different to what you're used to, you know, in the U.S. or, or Australia. Like uh, most coaches in, in the Netherlands are volunteers. Mm. Uh, the only coaches that actually have, like, yeah, more like a, a full-time job are the coaches uh, that work for the Federation. So that adds up to approximately 10 coaches at the moment, I believe. Uh, and the rest is all volunteers. So um, I, I did that as well uh, when I started in the 90s. Um, and my first coaching job was in Maastricht. Uh, then was asked to start coaching in Eindhoven. And that's where I met Peter for the first time. And he was 15 and I was 23. And from there on, we actually took on that journey.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And Like I I was gonna say, I took something from you as a young coach. um, One of the things I always admired about you and Peter is um, you were regarded as a great coach. Peter was regarded as an incredible swimmer, but together you were regarded as a great team. And that's what I always noticed from from day one with, with Peter. It was very difficult to race Peter on a good day, but it was, it was even more difficult because he had a coach with him who was part of his team, always with him, always, um, you know, it, it seemed like it was very hard to break up you two, you know, it it was for me as a competitor, I always wanted to try and get in the mind of my competition or whatever, but you two seemed like an unbeatable force together. And I and I admired that. It seemed like Peter got a lot of confidence from you. You took a lot of confidence from him. And um, and and as a young coach, when I started coaching um, guys like uh, Cesar Cielo and and Fred Busquet, my intent was to be like you and Peter. I wanted to be a team. I wanted when they got up on the block, I wanted them to feel like I was there with them. Um, when they had doubts and fears, I wanted them to feel like I was part of that and and they could rely on me and and I absolutely got that from you and Peter so I wanted you to know that
1: oh thank you yeah 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 I I I think you're right you know when let's say you know when you're starting coaching in 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 your 20s and early 20s for me really uh, and you start working with athletes you know I actually coached in the programs athletes that were older than I was Mm. uh, because I, I, I wasn't particularly a good swimmer you know I did enjoy a bit of training and racing and 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 obviously didn't have the talent but my dream was always to become a coach um and so so i went to uh sort of a sports academy in the netherlands it's called seals it's not a university but it's a like sports education where in the first year you do all kinds of sports actually also the sports that you're (laughs) absolutely not very good in like soccer and tennis and handball and Uh, I did judo and gymnastics and athletics so you get a very all-round broad education and also it comes with physiology, psychology, uh, nutrition, strength and conditioning so very broad in the first year then the second year um, uh, gets a bit a, a more narrow focus so I started focusing definitely on swimming because that that was my dream and I was there for and uh besides that because i had to pick another one i did judo as well and strength and conditioning and then in the third year it's more like an internship you do mm-hmm. um and uh together with 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 the school and that's that's pretty much how i became uh, a coach but but again like if you're in your early 20s and you start to coach athletes you're pretty much part of the swimming group you know um Mm -hmm. and i think the unique thing about um you know my relationship with peter um we we're still great you know best Mm -hmm. friends um uh absolutely and i i see him quite regularly and we still quite regularly even work together outside swimming uh, you know doing some corporate presentations Mm -hmm. or, or with 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 any job he's doing at the moment um but he always considered me as soon as we came to the pool i was the coach he was the athlete mm. and outside of that uh we were just and are just good, good great friends
0: wow that that's uh, an interesting balance to try and get right for a young coach too right like because it's very easy to go one way or the other you want to be maybe too hard or too distant from the athlete or you want to be too friendly with the athlete and to, to strike that balance is difficult as a young coach, did you find times where you had to try and figure that out for yourself?
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, like uh, I, I think when, you, when you're when you young, you pretty much have to figure out everything for yourself. <laughs> uh, so in my early years as a coach, we were really pioneering. Uh, as I mentioned, like uh, swimming in the Netherlands didn't have that incredible culture that I've seen in, for example, in Australia. So i didn't really have a mentor or or great examples don't get me wrong there were some good coaches in the netherlands but i didn't have those great professional examples so you you pretty much have to figure everything out yourself and it comes with ups and downs obviously Um, but you know uh, the club here in eindhoven really gave me that opportunity and and you know, I, I looked for mentors a little bit outside the sport who could help me uh, in, in developing mm. coaching, leadership. Uh, I, I, I think at that time I didn't even know the meaning actually of that. You know, we were just, uh, I was, you know, creating swimming programs and plannings just on knowledge that I had from school and a little bit from my own career. Um, I think the good thing about that was because of my broad education in sport that I could bring in elements that I had from team sport, from mm. athletics, from my uh, strength conditioning background. Uh, so we created actually that program uh, ourselves. Um, but it was quite a journey. And as I said, it comes with ups and downs. You know, it was not, not like an easy road in and, and understanding everything that, that, that we now call like high performance or elite coaching.
0: Wow. Interesting journey. Um, It sounds like you uh, uh, kind of were were learning as you were going. In terms of the physiology and the the technical side, the real scientific part of it, um, how did that come about for you? Because it seemed like you had a grasp of that at at a very young age. Is that something you, you physically studied from books and from professors, or is that something you learned as you went?
1: yeah I, I think in a way my education at school, or so at that sports academy helped me helped me big time in in, in setting the platform and understanding physiology biomechanics um, uh, you know the, the just just uh, some physics and 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 everything but it was just the the, the basics really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh i think after that you know when you are actually going to become a coach um, uh, when i did my internship um uh, that was in maastricht and it was with a coach called ronald gastra i don't know if you know him but he was Mm in the 90s he was the coach of fred de Burghaven, uh, the guy who uh olympic champion 100 breaststroke Mm -hmm. in 96 um so uh, he taught me a great deal as well actually about coaching and swimming and he just gave me my own group you know why i was doing an internship there he said like come in uh because he did the same education as i did and he said like it's great to have somebody again passionate for swimming come in here you have your own group and if you have any questions ask me and and i will tell you if i see something so for me Mm. that was already you know an opportunity for 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 development but then i i was really 20. um uh, so and then yeah i guess um after that i i just started you know literally first with books that i still had with physiology lessons and just writing programs based on on physiology so not so much of of you know i didn't have earlier coach or swimming experience to that level So I just started riding those. And I did that pretty much until 96. 96 was the first Olympics I went to. That was together with Peter as well, actually. Mm. He he was uh, in Atlanta. He was fourth in the 100 and fourth in the uh, 200. Very... (laughs) very ungrateful places, you know, uh, both, <laughs> yeah, <false. laughs> both on one tenth of a second. Oh. But as I mentioned already, we were pioneering, really. Mm-hmm. Like if I look mm-hmm. back at it now, I, I think sometimes what were we thinking? <laughs> but with his talent, you know, he got to four places and I coached another girl. Uh, then her name is Kirsten Vlieghuis. Mm-hmm. And I think most people won't remember her, but she got bronze in uh, uh, Atlanta in the four and 800. So for yeah. me, as a coach, that was incredibly important because um, it showed actually that we could get to that level. You know, it wasn't gold mm-hmm. yet, but but for me, you know, as a young coach, I, I also think you, know, like you need that confidence or, or that, um, yeah, a little bit that for, for yourself, that boost that you say, well, we, we can actually compete on the world level. And, and again, you, are you ever
0: making money at this stage? Are they? They're not still a volunteer then, are you? No, I,
1: it was a half-time job at oh, the moment. Wow. Yeah, 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 wow. yeah. So, um, so I, I worked in the swimming pool at that stage, hmm. and uh, the club here, PSV, uh, organized for me also a job in a, in a fitness center. So I, I was part-time strength and conditioning coach. Uh, well, not really strength conditioning uh, coach. You know, it was more like a health club style. Wow. Um, and and the other part of me was uh, being a swimming coach. And I I got my first full-time contract uh, after ninety-six uh, Olympics because obviously, yeah, it was it was a good Olympics for us. You know, we went we went with eight people. Uh, of the club in Eindhoven to the Olympics in, in Atlanta. Mm. So for me, that was already like, wow, you know, uh, you know, you dream as a coach of of maybe getting to, to the Olympics at some stage uh, and maybe being in a final, but to go with, with eight athletes to, to the Olympics and actually come away with two bronze medals as well and too many fourth places, to be honest, because <laughs> Peter Peter was fourth twice uh, I coached at that stage Marcel Wouda, he was medley swimmer. Uh, he was fourth in in mm. uh, two hundred and four hundred as well. <laughs> but at least you know I, I got the notion we can do this. Right. but We need to we need to become better. And um, then in ninety seven I was introduced to a physiologist uh, named Jan Albrecht, mm. and he really. Um, became a mentor of me on the physiological side. So he does this right. testing through lactate and and uh, well, for now, I've al- already been working with him for 25 years now, so I can almost dream what he has to tell and what he has to say. Mm. But it was great, you know, education and, and it gave our training uh, just a little bit more, that extra on the scientific level. So, mm. so it's not that my training changed 100%. Um, but what it did for me was uh, I could better understand the impact of the program and the choices I made for the program on the athletes. So, you know, and that that really shaped, let's say, our journey to the Sydney Olympics.
0: Did you feel encouraged from other older coaches or did you feel pressure from them, like them thinking, who's this young kid that knows nothing? Know taking over the best athletes, Uh, what was the feeling like for you in the Netherlands at the time?
1: Um, no, I I guess uh, I definitely felt encouraged, you know, because at at that time we we had a strong program in the Netherlands, but it's not comparable to for example what I've now experienced with with Australia or even Germany and now in France mm. where you have a lot more professional coaches so um, uh, again I, I I didn't have these 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 great examples and on the international stage um, I, definitely around, 96 97 98 I was pretty much unknown like Mm uh you know we uh uh, you know I I think it got better when in 99 Peter beat uh Popov in the 100 at the European Championships Mm -hmm. and that's really all also became the point like where we thought like yeah we can do this we can do this next year as well at the Olympics um and I think recognition of other coaches and being respected or accepted by other coaches comes with with pretty much your
0: athletes winning winning medals. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Tell me this. Um, what made you... What, you know, from where you've started to where you are now and the way that you're regarded now as, you know, one of the best in the world, clearly, uh, how did you go from there to there in terms of just your personality, your drive? Like, if you were to you know, analyze yourself as a young coach and maybe help other young coaches pull out the best attributes of what got you to where you are? What, what would you say some of those things were? Uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now really like
1: 30 years, 31 years in the sport. Right. And I, I think I can describe, I, you know, I said uh, like I started in the 90s. And in the 90s, I was really a coach, focused on the program. So I tried to gather as much as possible information from swimming, from other sports, from other coaches, from from what I just saw in the world and what I was thinking myself. Um, But it was very much focused on the technical details of the program. I think a big shift for me came in in the next decade, let's say between 2000 and 2010. Obviously, Peter uh, became Olympic champion uh, Inge De Bruyne uh, became Olympic champion, but she was she was coached by Paul Bergen, you know. So uh, she he literally made her career. Uh, but but uh, I, I learned a great deal from him as well, you know. Just following his program from a distance mm-hmm. and and thinking like, hey, this is something I, I can definitely use in my career as well. But I think in the next decade, I got more focused also on the personality of swimmers Mm -hmm. Uh, so so it became more people management you know the program but also becoming more aware of actually what it means to work with an olympic champion because obviously your world but also the world of that athlete changes Uh, there's much more coming at you like more expectations more commercial interest more media pressure uh more distractions mm-hmm. uh you know peter and Inga became like like famous people in the netherlands mm-hmm. and learning to deal with that as well um and i think um yeah I, I just learned a great deal from all the people i started working with you know also the people around me i i already mentioned like jan albrecht we we continued working with him but Uh, Also, uh, we got uh, a strength conditioning coach, a nutritionist, physiotherapist, medical. So slowly but surely, I was uh, capable of coaching, but also building a very strong team of experts that I could work with and the athletes could work with Mm -hmm. around us. And I think that, that developed also more of my view in coaching um and i learned a great deal from them you know i i think as a coach you learn from your athletes just through experience and going to meets and going through the training phases and everything but also from everyone around the program mm. i'm i'm always very open to trying to well at least listen to new ideas and then obviously make a decision well i can use this or i can't use this um so uh, and then in the, yeah, actually the next decade. So, so let's say uh, from, from 2012 up until now, mm-hmm. um, I had to reinvent myself actually a little bit because after 2012, uh, the Olympics, which I went to with, uh, Ranomi, Chromo mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. Marlene Veldhuis. So that was, was actually a very good Olympics too, for us. Uh, but then I thought after the Olympics, I, uh, I want to stay in swimming, but I, yeah, after almost, I was still pretty young, but I started young, but after 23 years on pool deck, mm-hmm. I want to see if I'm capable of doing something else as well. So I became technical director in the Netherlands, but that lasted only a year because in that year I got a phone call from, from Australia if I was interested in that role, um, which was very interesting for me because up until that time, I, I'd just been... Pull deck coach really so it really mm. required a transition for me to understand actually what difference can you actually make as a head coach or yes. as a performance director or any name it has mm. uh, because i i believe you know as a coach your your role is very clear you're there every day you're creating the planning, you're writing the programs, you're working with the staff, you're working with the athletes, you go to competitions, and and you have a pretty, I would say structured life. But when you go to more of a leadership role, your role is not so clear. So you, you have to, or at least I had to, it's, it's obviously my journey, I had to learn, you know, what what does it actually take to Become a good head coach, to become a good performance director. Uh, but obviously, I didn't have a lot of time to get into that because in <laughs> in Australia, as you know, there's always expectations. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was you know a good learning trajectory actually to be in 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 this position in uh, in Australia. and I think what 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 I really benefited from in Australia, was the fact that with all the coaches in, in 2015, we started a leadership course uh, done by the Melbourne business school mm. and not just me, but, but together with 15 other high level coaches, so pretty much all the coaches you, you, you know, and, and, and saw the Olympics went through that as well. Wow! We actually did that twice. And it brought us a lot in mm. terms of, because you know, it those those leadership courses, you don't talk really about swimming. But you talk about life. You talk about how people view you, mm. uh, and that's really for the first time where it really got to me. Like, yeah, you know, this is this is a really different job than day-to-day coaching. Mm. Um, and and but having lived that experience, I think you know you learn pretty much every year, and and it's like you're almost stacking up those experiences and then you can start passing it on so Mm. at the moment you know i'm 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 really enjoying getting in touch with all the coaches now in france as well and being able to just discuss with them pretty much whatever comes along you know sometimes it's about the program sometimes it's about technique planning working with science sometimes it's just about the coaching life and what it takes uh so it's almost like the conversation we're having right now. Like uh, only, only then I listen more than I talk now.
0: <laughs> well, I'm listening. I'm loving all this. I mean, there's so many questions coming up as you're talking. I'm like, I want to go there. And then you say something like, no, I want to go there. But like, <laughs> Okay. I, I love this stuff. It's awesome. Um, you, you reminded me of, uh, I just did an interview with uh, Rock O'Mearing in uh, South Africa. Uh, yeah, I saw coach that. Of, coach of Tatiana. And, um, you know, a lot of what you were just saying there in terms of like building a team around you asking a lot of questions, growing with your athletes. Very similar. It seems like the best coaches do that. So there's no – it's not a surprise that you're one of the best, he's one of the best because you're doing very similar things. And that's why I love sharing information like this because young coaches are always asking, well, how do I get better? This is how you get better. You put people around you, you ask questions, you grow, you learn. Um, So this is very good stuff. I want to jump back real quick to to Peter because obviously uh, I'm fascinated – um, with his journey and your journey and, and the success you had. I mean, Peter is uh, highly regarded as as possibly the greatest sprinter of all time in an era where there were many great sprinters, you know. Uh, and and you, you talked about the fact that he had to take on this, this giant um, Alexander Popov. So when did you first recognize that you had something special in Peter?
1: Well, to be honest, and... and um the first day I started coaching with him so this was in 93 and he was only 15 Mm. and I came from an okay program in the south of the Netherlands and then went to to uh, Eindhoven and the first day or first week I started coaching him I thought this guy can do amazing things in the water like um you know uh we just just an example do, do doing an aerobic set you know and we're talking now almost 30 years ago but mm-hmm. uh doing an aerobic set it wasn't too hard let's say eight 200s on on 250 and just just cruising lactate like, one stuff but peter was the he had that thing in his mind that he always wanted to do something every day uh if even if it was only for a short moment so he actually asked me, he said, you know, can I just push and go in the last two hundred? I say, Yeah, sure, whatever. And I remember that he pushed off and 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 just swam uh, a 152 or a 153. And I was like, Oh my goodness, did th- this guy can swim, right? Like th- this is something something wow. else. And and so I think even more than in competition, uh, in training, you 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 recognize what an athlete is really made of mm. and and it took actually for me quite a long time before he really really started to show what, what he was capable of you know mm. like uh coming forth in atlanta for example he, he i think he swam 48 yeah i'm not sure he was 110th of the podium but he mm. swam in 48 it was a personal best for him so he he, he did great but but very unsatisfactory of course mm. And we were really disappointed. Like, we, we, you know, looking at what I saw in training, I, I thought you can go a lot better than this.
2: Mm.
1: No, he swam 49 1. He didn't swim 48, 49 1, it was. Right. And um, so we were really disappointed and said, like, no, nah, nah. well, you know, it's a personal best. It was a national record, uh, it was an Olympic final. So, uh, it was our first Olympics. But nevertheless, we thought like what we've seen in training, we can do, do a lot better. And and actually, the first time that I really thought now he's showing what he can was in '99. In so it took six years. Mm. Uh, at the European Championships, he won six or seven gold medals there, even in 50 fly and 103, you know, being pop off and the 200 free. And that's really, really where I thought this is really the breakthrough that we've been looking
0: for for the last four or five years, really. Wow, 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 wow! Yeah, that that is an incredible breakthrough, especially um, you know the year before the Olympics in, in Sydney. Yeah, and um, well, well, now that you've got to go to Sydney and you've got to beat uh, all the best sprinters and all the best middle distance swimmers, so that to me at that time maybe not now, but maybe it, maybe at that time uh there, there were yeah, still now i guess there's there's, there's two different mentalities there's two different physiologies training methodologies for the 200 and the 50 and the 100 i mean i mean you've got to race ian thorpe in the 200 and then you've got to race all all the other greats in the 100 michael Klim, you know alex popov you know gary hall jr so you've got these you've got these sprint giants and then you've got kind of this middle distance giant so How were you able to have success in both of those realms in Sydney?
1: Yeah, I I really think this is where the training, let's say, philosophy that we we always had came in, like uh, developing aerobic qualities Mm. but without sacrificing speed. So so for me, you know, like technique has always been uh, the number one priority. So I think the best swimmers in the world are technically the best, the best ones too. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Peter didn't have great skills, uh, and that's an understatement. He had a very poor start and very poor turns. So we tried to do pretty much everything to improve that. But but it was <laughs> he had incredible talent for swimming, but not for starts and turns. <laughs> uh, you know, like we we even. In the lead up um, to to uh, 2000, we flew in a guy from Auburn. Maybe you know him, Dean Hutchinson. Mm, Dean, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we, were, you know, th- this was the time where people started to do the track start. Right. And we didn't know anything about track start. You know, we were just a two footed and And so we, we thought, you know, we better fly someone in from, from the U.S. <laughs> to tell us what this track start is actually about. And, and uh, so he came in and he helped us big time, really, really good, but still for Peter, um, you know, to, to pull off a great start. I, I think his first 15 was 5'8 at best. So, um, you know, if you look at the, the big guns now, they do 5.0, 5 5.2. Five five so that's 0. 0.6 already there. Um, and then his, his turns and underwaters weren't great e- uh, either. So, but we had to deal with that. And we always said like, uh, listen, uh, it's it's we're going to focus on your strength, which is obviously swimming, um, which is obviously also, um, uh, the capability of creating a good endurance so we always paid a lot of t- spend a lot of time in the aerobic stuff too but as long as you don't make the aerobic stuff too hard it doesn't kill your speed and it actually assists the development for you know uh, your back end 200 100 and even a 50 because in 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 sydney you know he he medaled uh, obviously won the 100 200 but he also uh, Got a bronze medal in the in the fifty. I think uh, Irvin and uh, who was the other one tied Gar- there?
0: Gary Hall tied, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. So, um, uh, so he could cover quite a range uh, in 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 terms of distance. Um, so, uh, you know, going from sprint to to two hundred as well. We did find out, you know, because um, from that moment on we said like, we still want to go a little bit faster on on the 200 as well, as well as the 100. So the focus became less on the 50, more on 100 and 200. And as soon as we got down to the 144 level, 144.8 it was for Peter, um, I saw that, you know, that's the point where we had to sacrifice speed in the 50. So mm. I think there is a balance to, to how far you can go in combining 50 and 200. Uh, I think in, in in Sydney, he just hit the sweet spot, but to become better and, and still be able to compete with like Ian Thorpe, Michael Phelps, you know, he was coming up 2004 mm. as well. In the 200, <laughs> we had to do more to, towards that regard and it became less in the 50.
0: Yeah, I was felt like it was very selfish of him to be great at the 50 and the 200, you know, it was like, it used to upset me so much that this guy could swim a crazy fast 200 and then come down and, and beat most of the guys in the world in the 50, but even with a terrible start and all those. Yeah,
1: yeah, but we, we, we really, our focus has always been the hundred. So, so we were training for the hundred. Oh, interesting! So, to be honest, uh, the two hundred was a surprise win in in, um, in Sydney. Mm. Um, we, we know, you know, you know, and you can see coming like he's pretty good at it. But to be able to beat Ian there was was uh, was at least a surprise to me. Uh, and uh, but let's say, despite the heroic work we did the whole training program has always been built around trying to get as fast as we can on the hundred.
0: Well, you obviously were very successful with that, you know, um, and, and Peter was incredible at the hundred in, in terms of Sydney was, was 47, a surprise at that stage, nobody had done that. And I, it kind of shocked everybody when they first saw that time come up on the board. I mean, anytime you break a barrier, uh, yeah. like that you know it, it, had you guys talked about 47 before Sydney yeah
1: yeah that that was actually really the goal so we went to Sydney we weren't talking about gold medals or winning obviously that's always in the back of your mind and certainly was in the back of his mind but but I really wanted to f- to stay focused on the process so we we kept talking about uh, breaking 48. That was really the goal. That's wh- why we we you know we said like we want to compete in Sydney, and we want to break 48, and hopefully be the first one to do that. Mm. Um, and when that happened uh, in the semi final, it was that was actually mission accomplished for us.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, <laughs> it was it was. Shocking to see it, but it was just incredible. I, I love seeing people break barriers, you know, for sure. So that was incredible. But uh I mean obviously he was great technically, he was he was good with the with the physiology, he could handle work. Um, uh, but there is also a psychological component with a champion. Well, what do you think separated Peter when it came to psychological performance?
1: I, I really think the 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 real champions, they they do have that. Mental capability that as a coach you can facilitate, so mm. so you can actually empower it to grow. But it is somewhat a natural gift, you know, because mm. four years later, um, again, we we you know uh, wanted to succeed again in the 100 and 200 by then, but but by then, you know, Ian Thorpe uh, became was a lot better athlete, particularly in the 200. Mm uh but our goal was again the 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 100 and to win it and at that point in time ronald schumann was incredibly fast like Mm -hmm. i think uh peter at the start had a body length behind Mm -hmm. so for us it was really to stay focused on that process and not over swim the first 25 so really you know we we already said to each other like this is going to be a race it's going to be you know it's going to come down to the last 15 meters And actually, it came down to the last stroke (laughs) to win it. Mm. But um, uh, what was your question, actually? Oh, (laughs) just
0: just in terms of psychology of Peter. Oh yeah.
1: So so in that race, uh, because that was really a difficult Olympics for him. You know, you're the defending champion, right? And to race as a defending champion is, uh, I think, is more difficult than to become. Olympic champion. Becoming an Olympic champion is already a challenge,
0: but why? Just the pressure that's on you.
1: Yeah, the pressure that's on on it, and and also, you know, it into Sydney we could fly a little bit under the radar mm. because even you know, though he beat Popov uh, a year out in 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 ninety nine at Europeans, even though he was clearly coming up, we were still under the radar. So so as a coach, you know, that's a dream. You can just train and coach and, and, and the, the athletes takes a recovery, not too many distractions, uh, not, not anything. But after an Olympic title, that that life changes. Mm. And we, we clearly had to ba- balance, you know, like um, commercial interest, for example, and, and attention and, and doing an advertisement here and a commercial there and a photo shoot there with staying focused on on, on the training process as well. Um on top of that, he, he got a pretty serious back injury. So a year later, a year after the Olympics or a few months actually after the Olympics, it was inevitable. He had to do surgery on his back. He had a herniated disc. Mm. Um, so he pretty much swam there with a herniated disc and, and his start wasn't great already, but that made it actually worse. So that he pulled off that 100 win, despite being a body length behind at at the start and still a half one at the turn again as well, uh, to me was more mentally than it was physiology, really. Wow, wow. um, Yeah.
0: And a lot of the great swims, I think, are one even before the race. Maybe there was a time during the day or in warm-up or right before he walked out where you felt like, you felt pretty confident. Uh did you have that moment in, in Sydney and in Athens before the hundreds? Did you have this moment where you're like, he's gonna win this? Yes,
1: in Sydney hundred percent. Okay. Uh because he was top, top, top peak shape. Every everything, uh every stroke was 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 on the everything was on the spot. Right. So we knew there he's gonna do something special. Obviously, nobody can ever predict a gold medal because you know you're racing; it's 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 all in the race. But we we really knew we have it here. Uh, 2004 uh, because he really kind of struggled in the heats and the semifinals, and it really came down to the final. So we never lost, and definitely he never lost confidence. Uh, Because physically, he was in top shape. Like, you know, everything we could measure and and could do to to bring him into top shape. But just his body uh, and his back uh, gave up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then to make it worse, uh, we were at that point in time, we were sponsored by Nike. And I don't know if you remember, but Nike had the Swift project. Right. So they wanted the fastest hundred men in swimming and in running, which... In the end, I think they had, um, uh, but, uh, the Nike swimsuits really weren't good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, <laughs> so he, before the race, he put on his, his, his swimming talks, you know, his the, the jammer mm-hmm. and after a struggle, he had it on because his back was hurting and everything. And it was bloody hot there in, 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 uh, in Athens as well. Yeah, and I, I and I was standing there as a coach, and I was getting a little bit impatient. I thought, well, this race, you know, it's not too long anymore. But he stayed incredibly calm. But then he uh, wanted to uh, uh, tie the knot, and he ripped the suit apart. Mm.
2: Oh wow!
1: <laughs> so he had to start the whole process again. Mm. And that's even where I got nervous and thought, like, shit. That you know, <laughs> uh, it, it, anything in the lead up to this final is actually been quite terrible. <laughs> yeah. But then you know, to get away, and, and I think uh, you know, if you look back at the race and you see him winning, but the the celebration afterwards, mm-hmm. I never seen that from him before, like that. Right. And it was actually, I think, just everything coming together there for him and despite a few struggles and a few ups and downs and everything that he nailed that one, um, yeah, that caused his celebration. Probably. That's
0: probably one that he remembers more than because of this, the struggle. Of Absolutely. One. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That, I, I think, you know, uh, some people think like, well, when you're Olympic champion, you can ease off a little bit and you can back off. But if you have the aspiration uh, or the ambition to go even further than that, um, you're sure to not have a very easy road ahead of you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing those stories. There's, there's so much to talk about with you. I want to um, get on to Renomi a little bit. Uh, you, you have incredible success with her. When when did that process start with you? Because I'm fascinated in this, in terms of having a, a male Olympic champion and then going on and having a, a female Olympic champion in the same event. Uh, did you? Uh, were there differences for you? surely, uh, and and kind of how did that process go for you?
1: Yeah, well, I think the first big difference was that I went from uh, a champion in the 100 with the worst uh, start uh, in the whole field Mm. to a champion in the 100 with the best start and turns (laughs) and underwaters of the whole field. So that was actually, uh, honestly, uh, Ranomi benefited from all the knowledge we gathered in the years before sure. to try and get Peter a better start and turn. Oh, so okay. so he benefited a little from it, mm-hmm. but also in Eindhoven, Eindhoven is quite a tech driven area. This mm-hmm. is the, the city of Philips, you know Philips, right, the yep. electronical company. So so pretty much Philips built this whole thing here. Oh, okay. And uh, by then, you know, a new pool was built with new high tech cameras and everything we could use. and and, and This came really into place in the work with Ranomi as well. So we could honestly teach her, um, and of course she has a talent for that, but we could teach her how to start at your very best. And that was a three, four-year project to to, uh, to nail it like that. But it was massively helped again by the experience, but also by the technology by then we had in, in Eindhoven in the pool. Um, so, uh, I started working with, uh, Ranomi, uh, in 2007, a little bit, uh, because she was, um, she was training in the North of the Netherlands, uh, with quite a small team and, and, and she didn't train a lot. So she, yeah, probably five, six times a week. Mm. uh and not a lot of volume you know mm. the first time um uh, she went on training camp with us was in cyprus and she said can i join your group you just to uh to train a little bit and i i already thought and i spoken to her coach and she told me like Ranomi can cannot handle too much i thought okay that's a you know good good to know mm. so i took it very easy i said like we're going to go 6100s on 130 and she looked at me and she said can't do that so what do you mean (laughs) 130 i could i said there's no goal time just make the 130 that's all (laughs) and she said no because after i swam uh two or three 100s uh freestyle i have to do a little bit of backstroke because otherwise i cannot
0: maintain she's like she's like like me she's like me
1: (laughs) (laughs) i like her but um uh the good thing was, because it, this sounds like I'm ridiculing, but I'm not. No. It's it just a story about how trainable some of these athletes are, you know, At, at the peak of her career, uh, so that was clearly 2011, 2012, she could easily swim like two and a half, three, three and a half K sets in freestyle um, uh, to, uh, to do that. So in, mm. in all those years, you know, we, we not only let's say built the skills and the technique and everything, uh, but also really worked on, on, on that aerobic development. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, she actually, I think her first Olympics, she was qualified for the 200, uh, surprisingly enough, 2008. And she was a relay swimmer. Mm. So she qualified for the 200, 158. Not too too quick, but but uh, it already showed actually with not too much, let's say, training volume at a young age that her capabilities were way more. Mm. Uh, and we actually spoke during the trajectory because after 20, uh, 2008 she came training full time in in Eindhoven. And that's where I thought, like, well, she's actually a much better fifty and hundred swimmer, uh, but we still have to develop her physiology. Um, and and uh, yeah, I, I really feel like with with Renomi leading into to two thousand twelve, we pretty much had a lot under control. And I let's say if I compare that with my first journey um, with with Peter. I could use a lot of the experience I had there in that trajectory.
0: Right, right. Now, you said she was at her peak at, in, in 11 and 12, but then you make a decision to kind of back away from coaching after that. Was that was that a factor of burnout for you or you just wanted a new challenge? It's 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 very, I mean, it takes a lot for a coach like you to give up an, an Olympic champion, kind of walk away from that. Was that difficult for you?
1: wow yes it's probably probably one of the most difficult conversations Mm. i've ever had with an athlete Mm. because you know she was at the height of her career winning 50 and 100 in 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 london and but i just felt and this is what i explained to her i said ronomi i would love to keep coaching because i'm i'm passionate for coaching but i do feel i cannot give you the same energy and commitment really which is what coaching is as I did over the last four years Mm. and and uh, I said it would not be fair for me to say well I'm gonna do this uh, but now I'm gonna do it on 80 percent of what we know or of of what I can do or still deliver Um, and actually you know she's a great champion she's a great personality too love loved working with her and 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 you know we're still in touch sometimes. And she, she, she's just a great person and she she actually looked at me, and she said, I understand. Like you know, like uh, uh because you're expecting a hundred percent from me. So I need to expect a hundred percent from you because that is the type of relationship you have with your athletes. And it's actually just being honest that you think you cannot do that. And if there's any doubt in an Olympic trajectory, I think you should simply, uh, yeah, uh, for, for me as a, as a coach, I didn't have another option than to say, I cannot, you know, I I want something else uh, mm-hmm. at this stage of my career.
2: Mm.
1: And, uh, but it was, I, I can tell you, it was a, it was a, a very difficult conversation. Sure. The, the good thing was we were, uh, because it was after uh, 2012 and we were invited for some gig in in Curaçao, which is in the Antilla. Uh, that that's a former uh, Dutch colony, and we were invited to do. So we were actually walking on the beach there, and said, "Well, Renome, i we got to tell you something." So that's no. that softened it a little bit, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't easy at all. No, no, but she, no. I, I think credits to her how she managed that, and and actually how she still you know in her career because after 2012 she still did some pretty amazing things in her career
0: who went on to coach her after you uh
1: directly after me was a young coach um uh who you probably don't know but but i think a year after that it was marcel Marcel. okay yeah 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 yeah
0: did you take the approach then of kind of releasing completely because it's it's difficult when you have that type of relationship you take someone to that height you want to stay involved but then also you want them to grow and learn and be able to connect with somebody else as well so what was your approach then um
1: actually completely letting go right and uh because i think it is uh unfair to the next coach Mm -hmm. to uh stay involved in the background Right. And, and to give asked or unasked advice, you know. Uh, you know, obviously, um, Marcel had trained with me in the 90s up until right. 2000. Ranomi had trained with me. So, uh, of course, Marcel is his own coach with his own IDs. So he's definitely not a copy of, of the program I did. Uh, but I'm sure there were some elements uh, in it and, and definitely the, the skill work we did still in, in Eindhoven. So, But I think you can only empower a coach if you are willing to provide advice or have a conversation or share what, what whatever it is you think. But as soon as you leave the program, you've you got to let them go. It, it, it's actually what I'm doing in my job, what I did in Australia as well, what I'm doing now uh, mm-hmm. in, in France as well you know you you listen to coaches you Mm -hmm. share what you know but i always i I always tell the coaches i said listen i i'm i'm offering you my opinion but don't really don't feel like you have to take all these things on board because i I think it's much more important that coaches define their own philosophy as to what they believe in it's not a, a a mini copy of mine or anyone else's program actually
0: Actually, interesting that you just say that because I was I was about to transition into something. I uh, I took a photo while you were speaking and I sent it to Dean Boxel, and <laughs> Dean Dean, uh, Dean actually just responded to me and he said uh, one of my favorite humans.
1: Um, oh, fantastic! Well, Dean is one of my favorite humans. Uh, he, <laughs> he's he's brilliant, isn't he? Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, in terms of the the philosophy of the program, like you said, I think Dean Dean was probably going through uh, a period of time where. Uh, some people were doubting what he was doing, and in, in, in his podcast, he directly referenced you and the support that you gave him, and the back, the backing that you gave him, which I think was so crucial. Um, so, in terms of uh, Australia's success, you came in at a at a time where they needed you. I mean, they they were in all sorts of trouble, um, but then you walked away right before a time where you kind of saw the fruits of that success. You know, they they had this incredible. Uh, Olympics a few months ago and and there's no doubt that your handprint was all over that Uh, and especially with a guy like Dean Boxer who credits you So, Was it difficult for you to to see that?
1: Well, actually uh, let's say the decision to leave before an Olympics is always difficult Uh, but at that point in time uh, I think um, I, I realized as a leader of a program that I think the best leadership you can provide is make, make the program so that the people don't rely on you being there. And that's actually, uh, you know, Rowan Taylor, who did an amazing mm-hmm. job there uh, with the team, mm-hmm. um, that you, you know you can go. And the program will continue. Right. And I think you know, I, I definitely couldn't have told you a story like this. Maybe even five, ten years ago. Definitely not five years ago. Probably not either. Hmm. But I think this is what ultimately leadership is about. It's not about you. Uh, so it's not about me. Uh, I'm not winning medals there. Uh, you know, you're you're hoping to support people and 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 be a mentor or you know, somebody they can learn something of, or some just a sounding board, uh, sometimes, obviously. Uh, that to me, uh, I felt actually pretty comfortable, although I, you know, a difficult decision, because right. you're right, you know, I have actually moved to Australia to be in Tokyo, mm. that, that was the goal, you right. know, it wasn't Rio, of course we wanted to be better there, but It was Tokyo. That Mm -hmm. was always like uh, the the pinnacle. That's where we want to be good and and challenge other countries as well. So to walk away from that uh, was difficult, but to leave it in the very capable hands of Rowan Mm -hmm. and all the other people within Swimming Australia wasn't actually difficult at all because I, I knew for sure that they were going to do a good job and maybe even better than with me. You know, like Rowan mm. is a, um, a real Australian, a proud Australian, uh, very empathic, more, more than I am, I think, uh, who was really the man to finish the job there. That, 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 that was my feeling. Mm. When I left, I thought, like, we've come so far. Obviously, things have changed to a positive which I thought, like, th- this is fantastic, but there's not much more I can add here. Mm-hmm. And to then leave it, in, in again, in very capable hands uh, with these great coaches. Um, no, so, so that was actually the easy part of the decision.
0: Tell me this then. What what do you feel you did add? What what did they need at the time that you felt like you came in and, and, and did a good job with? Uh, and do you feel like... Uh, Australian swimming is a world leader right now.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think they are uh, because um, what what I first saw when I came in is uh, it, it actually a few things surprised me. Uh, I thought the level of uh, coaches working with scientists was higher hmm. than I um, than I actually found out it was. There were a few programs pioneering a little bit. And i think that level is much higher that doesn't mean that every every program in in uh in australia is dictated by science Mm -hmm. but at the moment there's a much better cooperation between let's say the coaches and the physiologists they have and the biomechanist and the nutritionist and that that. so they have i think first of all the coaches have better teams around them Mm -hmm. uh i also think their planning is better uh, I was actually surprised, in this, um, and this is nothing negative, but, but I think it's just an evolution, but mm-hmm. the funding in Australia when I came in was you had to make a team. You, you probably still remember this from your yeah. time. Yeah. You had to make a team, which was usually done at trials in April, mm-hmm. and then you got funding uh, for the next four months to prepare for the major event if you made the team. hmm so I was sitting, uh, that was in 2014, when people qualified for, uh, that was Commonwealth Games and Pampax. Mm. And, and I was only four months in the job there. So that, that is really the time where you're just figuring out what, what, what is actually happening here. And people started thinking about, oh, I actually want to go to training camp here and I want to do this. And I said, is this not something you have thought of already or before? And, um, but I said, yeah, we can think of it, but if my athlete doesn't make this or doesn't make that, I cannot plan ahead. Mm. So, um, uh, we, we definitely, so we, we changed the funding structure. So coaches and athletes can uh, actually plan longer term, Mm. uh, which I think is critical if you want to be successful. To have uh, more longer-term goals, but also possibilities. But but of course, you cannot. If you're in doubt, uh, it, do I actually have money to do this? Um, so yeah, you know that you can better ask other ones what 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 I could possibly add. But I'm I'm pretty sure that we changed a few things structurally. Uh, Shifted trials, obviously. I I think it's a major uh, thing as well in in, in the whole thing. You still have to do things right. Um, I think the team culture has really changed um, into uh, a very coherent group. Um, And not just a coherent group, but people who respect each other's differences as well. So it's it's still, you know, there's unity, but still... um, possibility for for people to work highly individualized as well. Um, so you see, I saw a, a great, you know, team. Uh, yeah, team is the word, I mm-hmm. think, for 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 all of this.
0: Yeah, they, they definitely came together. I saw uh, clear differences between some, some things I was seeing, you know, around after the time I left, there was there were some shifts, uh, and it wasn't going in a good way. And then when you came in, I saw shifts back to kind of how things were flowing in the past. And it's not to say that, you know, you, you went back to the past. It's just that you brought people together again and, and people were really fighting and believing for a common cause. I think that's such a huge part of leadership. So credit you to that. Fantastic. Uh, well, just give me a Dean Boxall story then. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you've got a couple. Um, give, give me something uh, where well, you can remember. I- I'm 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 not as good as Dean himself to uh
1: to uh, to share these uh, to share these stories, but you know we're working with Dean, uh, no, I I'll keep it because you know well uh, obviously I love Dean, but there's more coaches I love there in Australia. Like right, right. Uh, I think this is one of the key things that uh, although all the coaches work differently, we. Came together over the years more and more, and people uh, really, really willing to share. Uh, I think Dean told you the story about Japan, right? With the introduction,
0: um, he 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 said something about Japan. Yeah, what was that all about?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that's probably my my personal best story with uh, with, with Dean, where I introduced him. So in Japan everything is very formal, and when you go on a mm. training camp there, uh, what they really want is you sharing with their coaches, you know, technical insights and and, and all the like. All oh, right, right. Uh, and and you know, and it goes very formal. It goes with a with a lunch, and you sit, you know, across from each other. And and for me in my position, I had to introduce the coaches from Australia to them uh in which i introduced you know michael ball olympic champion coach of uh, stephanie mm-hmm. rice back mm-hmm. then uh here's peter bishop olympic champion Carl charmers here is craig uh craig jackson olympic champion uh, Mac horton and then you know very expecting uh dean stands up and says like uh or, or very you, you know you can actually see him <laughs> what, what is he going to say about me I said, here, here's Dean Boxel, and he's actually done nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the good thing is, you know, Dean is incredibly competitive.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: he actually thrives on that. I, I think with anyone else, I would have been a bit more careful. Mm-hmm. But I do know that he, he likes, you know, those, those type of challenges, which makes him a, which makes him a great coach too. Um, and, and yeah, well, there's, there's many stories with Dean Boxall, but, but to be honest, also with the other coaches, I think, um, that, yeah, you know, for me, it's, it's very difficult to describe. Um, but I'm very grateful to have been just part of this amazing group of coaches and people that the Dolphins and the Australian team is. And not just in Tokyo, because, you know, we, we met you when we were training in Auburn for, for mm-hmm. Rio. Yeah, I, I think at that point in time as well, the group actually was, was pretty good. Not as good as what they are now, but the people themselves and the Australians and, and the pride they have in their swim team and everything. I, I think that is something probably... Any nation uh, can learn something from
0: yeah, you're right. I, I agree with you in, in Rio too I met I met you guys you came in and did the training camp at Auburn and and we spent a couple of uh, you know weeks together and um, the vibe I got was very good too. I mean I, I felt like they had talent they had um, great coaching they had a great team atmosphere but there was some comparisons between Rio and, and Tokyo that it seemed like, There was a little bit of failure in rio but then they had success in tokyo so were you surprised by the failure or the success of either one um
1: i think for rio honestly we weren't as good prepared let's say the 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 bigger changes in the program shifting trials but also what i spoke about the individual funding trajectory so Mm. that that allowed for longer term planning Um, uh, pretty much all the things we we did with the coaches and and, and the group together as well. The return of the event camps, for example, Mm -hmm. that all happened after Rio, Uh, because I honestly didn't feel comfortable to, I came in approximately two, two and a half years before Rio, and then you actually, you come into uh, a system And my decision was to run with the system as it was, of course, work on some key elements already, and particularly working on on the team and the group and and being together, but not these big shifts that we made actually after Rio. Uh, I I felt before Rio, the team wasn't ready for that. I probably wasn't ready for that either, you know, what I said, like it was a transition for me uh, uh, as Mm -hmm. well. I think I was much better in my position and and in what I was myself capable of in the second uh, half of my term in Australia. So I think everything simply had to evolve Mm. as well as the team, as well as the preparation of the coaches. Uh, I feel in Rio, we weren't prepared enough. That is to say, not everybody.
0: Do you get a similar feeling in terms of when you walked into Australia uh, in, where you are now into in walking into France or are they are they in a similar position or are they further ahead than where Australia was do you think?
1: Um, no I, I think they're they're there at the moment. Um, you know uh, I think it will be good. Uh, I'm actually bringing the coaches together next next week. Uh, that's the first time where we're doing a bit of an Olympic review and then start talking about, you know, sharing ideas. But uh, I think that's, that's, that's number one, bringing mm. the people together. Um, then seeing where programs and everything can be upgraded. Um, you know, we, we, we will have some meets like European Short Courses coming up. Uh, won't be a big team from France going there. You know, it's like a very busy program already with ISL and World Cup. So there will be quite a few people opting out of that one. Probably opting out of um, uh, world short course as well, but it gives me a good opportunity to actually see where the country, where the team is, and then build from there. You know, I um, and hopefully build on the experience I I had with with um, with Australia, because this is for me. Like I, I have a much better better understanding of which, well strings to pull or, or what mm-hmm. to do than I had coming in 2014 in Australia. So that's the advantage, I think, again, of of, of that experience. But yeah. I think it's a fair assessment to say they're approximately where Australia was six, seven years ago.
0: We're all humans, but culturally we're, we're different. So you're walking into Australia an Australian culture. You're walking into a French culture. Um, where where are the similarities between the two? I guess it's just communication, it sounds like, but the, where where are the challenges of the two? Like, how do you figure out, okay, I can get the best out of Australia this way, I can get the best out of the, the French this way? Um, yeah, honestly, for, for
1: France, it's difficult to say for me, but, uh, but I do believe, um, first of all, it's, it's, you know, I work for the Federation as I did in, in Australia. And it's always the Federation who calls you and says, do you want to take this job? And the Federation already has an opinion about how things are going in swimming, Mm -hmm. how the coaches operate, how this is done, and and not happy with this or very happy with that. And I think always like I have to hear and find out myself. So this is why I'm first starting to listen now to the coaches and actually want to hear what they think uh, Mm -hmm. is, is, is needed. I think what is very good at the moment in France, there is an appetite for change because obviously they're coming not of a of an incredible successful um, uh, Olympics, um, uh, and well, that that is a good you know start to right. say hey, we 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 gotta we gotta do something different, we gotta mm-hmm. we gotta change something,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah, that's, that's where it's at now. But, but to say exactly, it needs this. Um, what I do want to do from the start is provide clarity. So Mm. provide clarity in planning and, and qualification, you know, what do you need to go to next year's world championships? And what do you need to go to the next year's European championships? Because I think from there, People can start building their plans and we'll communicate then and we'll start talking about their plans. And, you know, uh, then I'm sometimes the sounding board. Uh, there are some very good and experienced coaches as well. You know, they, they, they definitely don't need my input on their plan. But I can uh, yeah, sometimes ask some questions about it and and or just challenge you a little bit. Say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Again, yeah. that's not to change coaches who are already great, but I think every coach in the world, including myself, you benefit from just having a bit of sparring partners.
0: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm kind of in this situation now where I'm I'm not on the pool deck, you know, all the time uh, anymore. Um, but uh, you know, for you. Uh, I mean, you've obviously gone through that period, like you said, you did many years on the pool deck, and now you're going through this management side, which is exciting. Um, where do you feel like you're, you're best suited? I mean, obviously you're, you're great in both. Do you feel more comfortable in one or the other?
1: Comfortable? I definitely feel more on pool deck. Right. <laughs> because a little more you know, control.: When, when I, I was 14 years of age, when I started to dream about becoming a coach. Mm-hmm. And so I've lived that dream up until 2012, and then I thought myself, I need to challenge myself uh, because it's not always about being happy and comfortable. Um, so going to another country, uh, because sometimes I think as well, what what, what am I thinking? You know, <laughs> you're going three years ahead of, of um, uh, the Paris Olympics, you're going to France, uh, and... But I, I, at the same time, I think it is that challenge um, that I need and also with a different country where I don't really speak the language, uh, where I truly rely on other people for, for me to translate some things. And then I think, yeah, you know, um, not any of these challenges is, is, is ever easy but it's probably what I'm looking for. It was what I, what I was looking for as a coach, and it's what I'm looking for in these roles as well. And at the same time, the rewards as a coach are pretty obvious. You know, when you're an on deck coach, you see your athlete win or lose. And when they lose, it hurts you as much as they do, I think. And when they win, you're as happy or probably even more happy than the athlete themselves. You know, you go with their energy and their emotions and in in this in this role um that you know reward system isn't isn't that obvious uh but the challenges are are different working with 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 others uh sometimes just going to a program seeing a coach operate and think as a coach like i would do this i would do that and then sharing that but also trying to let it go and say like listen you, you you do what you do with it if you don't do anything with it you know you're the coach you make the decisions here seeking that balance um truly develops you or me as a person as well and and i think that's the reward in this role is the um, the consistently grow uh the, the growing you need to do yourself to 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 be able to add anything to anyone
0: yeah Well said. Um, I'm obviously you got one of the best sprint minds in history, so I'm going to ask you a couple of sprinting questions. Where where are we at with human capacity? With with uh, how far we can go? How fast we can swim? Uh, I mean, are we pushing up on that? Uh, Where should we continue to dream that we can get faster and faster? I mean, the the men's world records have, have been stuck on this this suit era for a little bit, but we're getting closer to it. The women's world records have, um, you know, been taken down recently, so we, we're getting faster. But how do we get faster? Do you think? Um, well,
1: I, I think you know the funny, the funny thing you see in swimming and pretty much in any sport is that it needs somebody who breaks a barrier, like Adam Peaty did with breaststroke, mm. unbelievable time. But now, slowly but surely, you see people getting to there that is not just because they train better sleep better recover better have better material o- obviously technology sometimes plays a role you know having uh, a kicker on the starting block mm-hmm. you know uh makes you faster in the start you know mm-hmm. faster than let's say 20 years ago uh in in on on most occasion having a backstroke wedge uh mm-hmm. instead of just uh, you know something to push off in in, in backstroke obviously helps and 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 also uh, increases the level. Uh, maybe the technology in pools or the swimsuits or, or those kind of things have a little impact, but I think the most impact is made with the belief that people can do it. Mm. And to believe people can do it, you need um, somebody who does that, like, for example, Adam Petey, or maybe even like 20 years ago, Peter, you know, to break a 48 seconds, And then it won't take very long before other people follow. Um, And for to swim really faster than we do right now, uh, I think I'd like to think outside the box in these things like um, we should wonder at some stage is freestyle still the fastest way to go through the water. Mm. Uh, I don't have the answer. Uh, and I'd like to think, yes, at the moment, yes, that's what we believe and that's what we think. But I think in some way, if you see Adam Petey swim breaststroke, you can actually say he reinvented the stroke. He's swimming right. a different rhythm, different, you mm-hmm. know, still maintaining stroke length but on a much higher uh, rate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so it's a combination of of, of those elements. Uh, I can see that happen in, in, in swimming as well. But maybe even we, we should think even a little bit further and think like, you know, um, in, in, in high jumping at some stage, you you had the Fosbury flop. You know, mm-hmm. everybody was going over their belly, over <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, over the distance. And then suddenly some lunatic comes up and says, like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going backward over that. Jumps highest, wins. And then everyone takes it on board. And I think in swimming, we're, we're waiting again for the next move. Um, just like what we saw in swimming with the underwater work. Um, to, to me, it, it's always been a surprise. And and I was there and I was pretty much sleeping as well. But in the 90s, you had Selkov, Pankratov, you know, these guys who swam f- almost 50 meters underwater, which is not allowed anymore now, but they actually almost, well, 25 years ago, almost 30 years ago, already showed that underwater, you can go faster than at the surface. Still it took us about 20 years uh, to, to actually make that mainstream. So I think sometimes we're adapting very slow in sports or actually almost declined to believe that something else can be better or um, uh, to do so. It's difficult to say where swimming goes but that, that it will keep continue to go faster and faster uh that's 100 percent for sure uh, i think in our lifetime uh we're going to see 19 seconds in 50 freestyle we're going to see 44 at least in 100 freestyle mm-hmm. um um i would say why not but it it requires something else than what we're doing now
0: absolutely i couldn't agree any more than with what you just said i have i've had many um walks uh, with my dog, I've had many sleepless nights. I've had many times on the pool deck where I'm where I'm thinking very similar thoughts. Like, there's got to be more. Where is it? What, what am I missing? You know, how, how can we do it differently? Uh, and, and as you were speaking, though, I was thinking to myself, well, he thinks the same way I do. Have you ever thought about locking a few of us in a room like this, you know, and just saying, hey, we're not coming out of this room until we figure this out. You know? yeah, yeah. We got, we're going to yeah. spend a week here. People are going to deliver food to us. And in a week, we're going to have an answer. Yeah, but
1: uh, I would love to do that. But we need then more than swim coaches. Right. Because it, it is that, you know, this is uh, I'm, I, I've been doing in my year off, let's say, in between uh, uh, Australia and what I'm doing now. I've been quite a lot in touch also corporate. You know, you do sometimes mm-hmm. do clinics or speeches mm-hmm. or things like that. But you also learn a lot from them. And what you see with the, with the tech companies, if, they, if they're trying to create a new reality or, mm-hmm. or trying to create, they bring people from outside. You know, for example, me from sports mm-hmm. who has no clue what they are talking about, but you can ask the stupid questions mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and raise the, the, like, have you thought of this or is this maybe too much uh, out of the box? So I think to get there, you need swim coaches, 100%. But you also need some other people who are not bothered by what we think we know in swimming hmm. uh, and so yeah uh, i think uh, it's a great idea actually uh let's do it uh you, yeah
0: i'm, I'm yeah. in i'm in you know, when you decide to put it together with the best in france and the best in the netherlands and maybe some australians i'm coming okay so let me let me in on well that. you you have the
1: platform now brett you're I the do. man I do yeah. I,
0: I mean i mean I, honestly i'm i'm asking as many questions as i can of people like you to try and pull out some of these answers and maybe we can we can put it all together but but even in terms of the platform yeah i can i can bring us together as well so um i know you'll be willing for that for sure uh i had something else i was going to ask you before I, just this this conversation is, is going really well so i appreciate your time thank you for this well, thank um, you. Uh, what else then? So, like, where where are you? Uh, what what are you excited about in the future then? Other than just uh, the the opportunity with France, what's coming up in your life?
1: Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it also it pretty much comes with age as well. You know, like what what I described in my coaching career. I think the first twenty years in your or the ten years in your coaching career, you're very focused and you want to make a point and you want to coach you know uh mm-hmm. preferably an olympic champion but mm-hmm. who can tell if that's ever going to happen mm-hmm. but then through let's say these performances you get exposed i get a lot of exposure like i said to people in corporate people in business people from other worlds and just sports mm. um, um and yeah you know I'm, I'm very much focused on france right now you know that's a big job and i i really hope um uh I'm not expecting a miracle there uh but I definitely want uh to do better uh with them yeah uh, so, so so that's the first thing I'm really excited for and 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 also to get that to know you know really that culture the people uh and and really trying to establish establish something you know leave leave a footprint you know right, yeah or, well, or at least a fingerprint Let's well you did
0: that. a fantastic job in australia and as i was researching uh, this today i actually came across some talks that you had given for asker and some other places some some technical talks there was one on um anaerobic and aerobic capacity so if anyone's watching this and they want to get more into kind of your head and the science of it maybe there was a lot of sets that you presented a lot of people love swim sets there was a lot of speed sets aerobic capacity sets so um that can all be found on the internet quite easily uh, i didn't really want to dig into that because it's already out there so um again uh, just appreciate getting to know you even more i got uh, an immense amount of respect for for you and, and and even the progression you've taken with your career um um you know I, I think you're a you're a pioneer so thank you for doing this chaka
1: well not a problem not a problem so uh no much much appreciated, and i'm i'm enjoying it you know you're talking about presentations we did actually uh, I got invited by Fred Gnu to do mm-hmm. a presentation. We did it yesterday for Colombia. Right. Uh, and also there, you know, you, I must say, you know, everywhere you meet coaches, because swimming is even much bigger than we think or know, you know? Like there are so many passionate coaches mm-hmm. out there with uh, who probably aren't as fortunate as I was here in Eindhoven, you know, to Mm -hmm. to ultimately get a great pool and tech and staff and everything. Um, But still to work, to be able to present to those people and and talk with them about what they can do in their situation or maybe ignite that small flame. I, I think, you know, that's what you're doing with your podcast as well it's just getting some different views some different opinions um uh, you know nobody has the full answer or Mm -hmm. the the whole truth Mm -hmm. uh and we don't want to you know it's 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 about sharing and 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 doing this so yeah uh, i'm Mm -hmm. i hope i can continue to do that for a long long time
0: yeah absolutely um love watching what you're doing thanks for doing this appreciate you sharing and uh good luck with the, the the gig in france okay Fantastic. All right. Thank All you. Right. All, All right. The Take best care. To you. All right. Bye-bye. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called swim nerd live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device, such as the TVs in your facility lobby, ready room, or by athletes, family members across the world. A very simple and easy to use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results you actually see the live meet timer counting up the splits come across the screen as the swimmers touch the pads it has all the information you're looking for event heat lane name of swimmer times and places there are so many things you can do with this software swim nerd live turns any smart tv into a portable digital scoreboard hang a tv out in the hallway of the pool or on both sides of the stands this is perfect when you have swim meets and the kids are in the gym down the hall they've made it incredibly simple for anyone to watch one click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time and here's the cherry on top swim nerd live also provides advertising space for you to show off your sponsors promote your upcoming swim camp or have your alumni just one click away from donating. This software will pay for itself. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.